You are listening to the Source Connection Podcast, an ongoing invitation to remember your true infinite nature and embody your unique human expression. By holding space for the kind of conversations that uplift, inform, and unite us, we are here to amplify the field of possibilities and explore the keys to creating the new. Hosted by Liz B. and Tara Long. For more, check out thesourceconnection.us, Spotify, Odyssey, and YouTube. Hey, welcome everyone. Thank you for being here today with myself, Tara, and our very special guest, Ginny Morton. So let's take a moment to come into coherence together. Let's just start tuning into ourselves, our breath, our heart beating. So today I will invite you to find your heartbeat wherever it is that is easy for you. It works for me to put um, <clears throat> two fingers in my throat area where I can feel it very intensely. Some people can find it on their wrists or um, the different parts of the body, or you can just close your eyes and integrate and feel into that. I just want you to tap into that rhythm, dip in the breath, and let's share the yumminess of silence together. Inviting wonder and curiosity, openness and understanding.
tuning into our own inner guidance and knowing that we have within everything that we will ever need. And knowing that this is a healing broadcast that activates in you your remembering. Let's take a deep inhale together through the nose and let's side out. <sighs> Couple more times, inhaling deeply. <sighs> Taking in the inspiration through the breath. Bathing all of you and letting go. Mm. So funny because I said, let's share some silence together. There's construction outside, and I just hear <laughs> tang tong, tang tong, bang, and banging and banging and dropping. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't hear it. So, goodness. <laughs> yeah. That was silent for us. Thank you. So, <laughs> I love, I love the contrast and um, how much it just keeps. Asking us to remember. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we're here today with a very special person. Um, I met Jenny a few, well, maybe last year. I don't even know. It feels, again, yeah. like that concept of time, it's not really relevant. And through our common friend, Erasmus, hi, bro. And since then, we've been having this very inspiring, beautiful, um, multi-dimensional conversations. And so last time we saw each other, I said, I'd love for you to come and be a guest at the Source Connection because this needs to be heard by other people. And um, being a multi-dimensional being, I'm just going to introduce Jenny and touch into a few of the things, which is way more than that, but a doctor an osteopathic doctor, and we can go into a little bit of what that is, right? Integrative um, medicine woman, a performer, dancer, singer, musician, um, hard math practitioner, author, mystic to me. So I'll leave it at that and we'll take it from there. Thank you so much for being here today. I adore you and I'm so happy we're together. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me and to, you know, exposing me to your wonderful platform as well. You know, and I've been indulging in all the beautiful videos that you have there. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. We have a very specific place we want to start. I'll let Tara. Yeah, I, um, well, and I also want to invite you to just say whatever else you may want to say about yourself that feels relevant at this time. Um, But in addition to that, uh, first of all, your website is just so beautiful. Just the feeling of it when I go there, it's very calm and it just, yeah, it's very, and I love the first thing that you see is that Jenny is the storyteller, which I love so much. I look, cause we always talk about the stories we're telling now, right. This on here in the source connection. And then the, um, after that, it says our bodies express the stories we tell ourselves. Is your story a good fit? And I'd love for you just to expound on that in whatever way you'd like to. Yeah, it's it's something that, you know, over the years of of treating people, and I'm I'm an 
a British trained osteopath and we're very hands on manual medicine. We don't prescribe. We don't um, uh, sort of uh, do more of the allopathic stuff. Um, and, you know, it just sort of developed over time that I was like, you know, it's so much more about what I talk about with the patient and the 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 stories that come up through that medium of touch that really are the essence of 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 uh what's going on for the person and that um you know treatment is normally targeted at the what rather than the why you know and osteopathic sort of philosophy is all about getting to root cause and 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 really sort of understanding where these these expressions are coming from in the body and one of the one of the things I always say to people which sometimes makes them go whoop is I said there's never anything wrong with the body and often they're coming mm. to me with some sort of you know pain or it's like something wrong it's like there's never anything wrong with the body in fact it's an arrogance of us to assume that because right. we are in, in discomfort that there is something wrong the body is always healing you know, and people yes. say, when when will I when will it get better? When will I start from like it's now, you know, in every if you're breathing, <laughs> you're healing, right? Yeah. And although there may be discomfort going on, that's that's the body trying to calibrate, it's trying to come back into balance. So trying to just address that expression, that symptomology is really sort of missing the point. And of course, you know. There are times when we do need to, you know, turn that flame down and help people manage it so they can get a grasp of what's going on. But really, it's what's underneath it and what's the story underneath it. And I, I normally say, you know, there's there can be about seven whys underneath there, you know. And even if someone comes in, oh, I've hurt my knee. Um, oh, what happened? Well, I I tripped and fell and, and bumped it. I'm like, okay, so why did you trip? Well, I was feeling a bit kind of foggy that day. I wasn't really watching where I was going. Why were you foggy? Well, I hadn't really been sleeping that well. Why aren't you sleeping? You know, <laughs> yeah. back, back and back yeah, yeah. until we really get back to the work. crux of what's going on. So that's the story, right? And uh, I love the phrase that, you know, our biography becomes our biology. And, mm -hmm. and but, um it may be a, a localized story like that, that's something that's going on in the sort of, you know, present context, or it may be an emotional pattern, a behavioral pattern that was set up very, very early in childhood um, that has manifested in this, this um, expression through the body at, at later in life. So uh, that's the part, it's kind of like the detective story. That's the bit I love to get to. It's really sort of to dive under all the layers and whilst we can sit and talk about that, when I first work with somebody, we take a sort of history and 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 have a, a deep chat about what's going on. Really, it's once we get hands on, you know, that that starts mm. to open up, and the things that they didn't even think were relevant. Again, the body is so intelligent; it's beyond whatever we can perceive yes. as. You know, I, I always talk about the difference between intellect and intelligence. And um, mm -hmm. intellect is how we often just override things and make sort of arbitrary decisions about, oh, well, no, this is about this. this is like, but the body <laughs> speaks the truth always. And so when, when, you know, I start to, to, to involve touch and get into the hands on part of the process, a whole layer of information can come up and I start to get intuitive hits about, oh, what did this ever happen to you? Or, or tell me about this. And um, and people are like, huh, where did that come from? And it's like, yeah, that's the subliminal conversation that goes on. 
And often I feel like I'm the interpreter or the translator of mm. those deeper stories that that sometimes people just haven't haven't been able to contextualize or aren't hearing. And, and you know, I sometimes get the sense that when I get hands on, the body goes, oh, thank goodness, somebody's listening. You know, could you tell her? I've been yes. yelling. <laughs> But she's really not getting it, so I just kind of interpret the signal, yeah, yeah, and, and uh-huh. I just love that conversation and always bringing humor to it. Yes, know? I'm like your body's kind of saying this. Don't know whether that means something to you. They're like, ah, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just the mystery of 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 the you know this existence that we're in, and just trying to decode it and have fun mm. with that. And that's what we're here to do. You know, we're not here to just be perfect beings when everything's going right. You know, we don't learn anything from that. So, um, so to really sort of roll up our sleeves and get into it and have fun with it is is turns people's relationship around and just say you just have to stop and ask. Mm. And I, I really encourage people you know, to to start to have conversations with the body. And it may feel a little bit like you've got some kind of multiple personality thing going on. Or, <laughs> but it's, it's that sort of sense of, you know, like at the end of each day, I have a little check-in with my body and I just go, okay, guys, who didn't I listen to? Who needs to yell? <laughs> yeah. Create that forum, that, 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 that mm. line of communication yeah. for you know not necessarily for the body to speak but for you to be able to tune in to those deeper messages and at first you know you often just get crickets and you think this is kind of weird I'm just kind of lying here but if you just keep allowing for that space you'll start to get these you know intuitive hits and this information coming through this deeper intelligence coming through that we haven't been taught to to connect with you know and I really feel this is something that we should be encouraged to do from childhood you know yes. we tend to shut it down with this sort of oh no well that's just silly you know um yeah. but so keeping and keeping that fun frequency because it's all about vibration and frequency so when you're in that frequency of fun I'm like hey guys you know let's have a <laughs> conversation and it, that in itself allows for for those those uh, messages to come through yeah. Yeah. So that's really sort of where I've gone with this idea of, of the story because a lot of the time people are living um, you know, an existence that they they feel is accepted in some way. You know, they're trying to please to be accepted, to not be shunned from the tribe and often yeah. suppressing aspects of themselves that they don't feel are accepted and would cause them to be, you know, uh, not one of the gang. And that's a sort of a fundamental need that we need mm. to be in connection. Um, and if we feel we have something going on that threatens that, we'll suppress it. But if you're not in truth, that will manifest as symptoms at some point in your life because the body needs you to be in your true frequency. Um, so helping people to just kind of dissolve some of the layers and and look at what are you know even the word personality right comes yeah. from uh persona that's actually comes from the greek um although it's kind of latin terminology from the greek <clears throat> idea of wearing the mask right the the mm-hmm. greek theater mask persona means th- per through sona sound mm-hmm. how you pass sound through the mask so actually that very word personality is about the mask that we yeah. wear to become accepted in the world but it's not really 
necessarily your authentic truth. In fact, the first book I wrote was called right. The Authentic Performer, Wearing yeah. a Mask and the Effect on Health, which everyone thought I wrote during 2020. You know. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that was about 10 years ago I wrote that. No. Um, but, but yeah, so it, it it is that idea that we're wearing a mask of acceptance a lot of the time, but if that's not congruent with, with our true expression, then the biology will be in conflict in some way and will manifest itself. Um, so unless you get to those stories... The mm. symptoms will will keep sort of r- running through your life. They might be louder at some times and quieter at other times, but you know, this it's still there. So that little frequency, that little incoherence, is just running through your system all the time. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's really how I sort of arrived at that that kind of languaging around it. Yeah, and I just wanted to let everybody know that the mask book is predictive program. So <laughs> kidding. <laughs> <laughs> in the in the good way right because i mean the subtitle is wearing a mask and the effects on your health yeah. i mean if you think about that right just even like metaphorically like yeah. not even physically and just all of mm-hmm. that i have a question about how did you get into that coming from the performance world and looking at the body right and then going into osteopathy and just all of that how was that all um, in alignment for you yeah I, mean, I really felt like even as a child I was I've always felt like I've been a bit of a sort of research scientist on this planet you know I <laughs> just kind of I was never I always just felt a bit like so what's this I'm not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about that here all the time right? Right? Isn't that, yeah yes. we're like um, yeah, yeah. What's this again? I don't really know. <laughs> was I supposed to be here? Oh my! <laughs> was I supposed to be here? <laughs> Wait, guys, sure? was I dropped off at the wrong place? Yeah, What's I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we sure, guys. Um, Are we sure about this? Okay. Yeah. So I was always had this just slight disconnect, and I think that's possibly a safety me- mechanism in childhood as well. But I came yeah. from a um, a family of, of performers. My my dad was a TV director at the BBC in in England, and my mum was a. a dancer she'd been a, a royal ballet trained dancer and and she was she had by the time I was born she had her own dance studio so I was apparently I was 14 months old when I did my first ballet class because <laughs> she plumped me at the side whenever I, yeah. the moment I was up on my feet I was joining in so uh, so I was that was just normal to me so I would yeah. be in the dance studio most of the week and at weekends we'd often go up to the BBC with my dad and I'd be in tv studios watching you know he did a lot of the sort of comedy and light entertainment shows all the big classic comedies um Monty Python Faulty Towers you know all these kind of things so that was so again you explains a little bit probably about my weirdness Um, (laughs) (laughs) love it so but I always used to find like even in those tv studios where I'd just be you know I'd just sit at the side doing you know the schoolwork or whatever whilst all this rehearsals were going on and um and often I was around quite well-known people of, of the day, but I would see them, you know, in their natural habitat as, as <laughs> scientists, as opposed to the public persona, again, that that um, other people would see. And they're, oh, that person's so wonderful. Oh, wow, you get to meet them. And I'm like, yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a different picture over this side of the, you know. Um, or, or that some artists, even if they were, you know, lovely people, were just terrified, you know, absolutely mm-hmm. terrified in the studio and just so nervous. And I'm thinking, 
why do you have to be so nervous doing don't you enjoy what you do you know mm-hmm. so I used to sit there and observe all of this and and just be like huh huh and and seeing the discrepancies and of course being around a lot of performers um performers you know are wearing a mask for their living right that's part of the job as an mm-hmm. actor whatever to play a role but I I think that a lot of artists are drawn to that profession because they spent their childhood playing a role because who they were wasn't really accepted and mm. so therefore they got very good at it and and therefore well it was a natural progression to, to sort of go into the arts um and so one of the things I and and, and I experienced that myself you know I was painfully shy as a child you know if somebody came and spoke to me I'd just be like horrified like oh, no, 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 don't don't put focus on me don't put but yet put me on a stage in front of a thousand people no problem you know perfectly at home um so so you know I had my own experience of that um so as I you know and I was a child performer as well I did my first film acting job when I was like five and then at eight I started touring with a ballet company I had a child role and I toured for five years so I was in and out of school I was at a full-time theatre school anyway and touring so I was just around you know adult professionals all the time um so I you know got to know the psyche very well of of the the performing artists and so then what as a as a dancer I was a ballet dancer for years and then did musical theatre and was a singer and um had a lot of injuries and things that you get as, as a performer and but it was very difficult to find uh, people to go to for treatment who really understood what you did for a living. You know, they're like, oh, well, you need to rest. It's like, no, I have eight shows a week. And if I'm not on stage, I don't get paid. So you need to help me get. Um, and so I decided I just had a bit of a knack for sort of massage and stuff and so every show I did I used to sort of become the unofficial company masseur and people would say I'll give you a bottle of wine if you do my shoulders <laughs> um, so, um, so I started doing these then people were like oh you should train in this you know so I ended up training as a as a sports massage therapist when I was still working in theatre so I would treat people in the day and then do my show at night uh, but I could really get to the root of 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 what they were doing as because again you know talking about root cause dancers injuries musicians injuries are normally coming from something in their technique or in the particular Mm. repertoire they're doing at the time so if you don't go back and address that they're just going to repeat the the behavior that caused the problem so I was able to really you know pick apart uh, technique and things and clean out those things that were, were sort of leading them down the injury path and then you know with anything in in the sort of healthcare realm you know the more you know the more you don't you realize you don't know and actually the more terrified you are of what you don't know you're like well, I don't know whether I should tell you. I don't know enough <laughs> so I would always be referring people on to osteopaths when there were things that were going beyond my my realm and and as artists we a lot of artists are very drawn to osteopaths because they have a very global approach mm-hmm. to treatment rather than being very sort of well it's just your knee so we have to look at your knee yeah. you know we look at the whole the whole um system so um you know at a certain point in my career I was transitioning out of theatre work and I was singing with a band and so I had days free and so because osteopathy is a five-year degree program and it doesn't really fit with an eight-show week um in mm-hmm. theatre so I I decided to train as, as an osteopath but was still performing 
all the time uh, with, with, our, with the band that I was with. It's a, a big band, 20 piece swing, swing band. So, wow. singing that. Um, so, so I developed, you know, in, into osteopathy. And then as I was working, I was working in London at a specialist performing arts medicine clinic. So, we have mm-hmm. performing arts medicine, which is kind of like sports medicine, but for performing artists. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I was working at that clinic and so treating primarily artists. And I realized that the people that came in, you know, artists are often always playing a role. They come in and say, I'm an actor. And I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so accurate. <laughs> so accurate. Yes, well, I have this shoulder thing that's going on. And I'm like, why are you performing for me? I, I <laughs> and what I found was that the people who were kind of more at that end of the spectrum were slower to heal they were they were less connected to the body and to the truth underneath it and it was only when we started to you know sometimes three quarters of the treatment time I was just talking to them just getting under the layers Mm -hmm. Um, and when we really got down to well what you know who are you really Mm -hmm. then the system started to to shift so I wanted to understand the biology of that so I started to go sort of into deep research into sort of neuroscience and um and even looking at the neuroscience of creativity and what is it that makes someone creative that often predisposes these particular behavioral patterns and the sort of addictions and volatility that artists are often painted mm. with oh you're so dramatic you're so emotional you're so you know up and down but there is actually a biological basis for it and an anatomical basis for mm. it. So when you describe that to an artist, it's like oh, this sense, of, oh, you get me. So you mm. just described me because they themselves mm. often feel like they're just, you know, riding the waves of all this, you know, kind of mm. crazy ups and downs. But when you understand that there are actual fundamental structural differences in brain anatomy that go with the creative kind of temperament um it's just that sort of relief when it's like well now now I understand it and I know I'm not just crazy um how do I then manage it and so now you've got Mm -hmm. sort of a a structure underneath that helps you to go oh well that's okay and that you know if you don't have these ups and downs um of the creative temperament you don't have creativity right (laughs) it's a polarized thing and the 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 more tension between the two poles Mm. the more motion you know motion comes from from tension right um and so and that kind of led me over the years into more you know uh I'm now down to the quantum level (laughs) and sort of quantum physics and unified physics and getting down to um you know, because I was always very intuitive as a practitioner, but I was very sort of rigorously trained and I was in sort of deep academia for a while. I helped um, develop a master's degree oh, in nice. arts yeah. medicine and I was lecturing in the division of surgery at University College <laughs> London, which is one of the top <laughs> medical schools yeah. in Europe. You know, it's feeling like a complete fraud, you know, just go. Oh, my God, really? In the, OK, I'll teach anatomy to surgeons today. Fine. Um, <laughs> So, uh, but made it a performance, you know, and they all like, yeah. oh, like I've never been to a lecture like this before. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if in doubt, I'll just do a song and dance number of hundred. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I um, so 
getting so I was always you know in this this gap between reconciling the mm. the physical from the metaphysical the intuitive from the evidence base and like am I justified in even using these techniques if I can't explain it in in rigorous terms mm. and and what I found as I started to get into quantum physics and into unified physics which is the you know this idea that we have, you know, the classical Newtonian world and the quantum, you know, nature's not that, you know, doesn't draw lines in the sun like that. <laughs> yeah. using the wrong language, right? So studying unified physics, which is able to describe everything from the quantum level to the cosmological, you know, <laughs> and all the scales in between, suddenly I had a language that could describe what people will put in the bucket of energy medicine or, you know, um, metaphysical kind of uh, components of of the therapeutic process and the tangible and so I developed last year a course in in sort of quantum biology and the language of that for practitioners to to help them understand that they you know they're not stepping between oh well if I'm hands-on I know I'm on a muscle mm. a tendon a ligament you know I know what I'm doing and then the energy stuff's just woo woo it's like no it's all the same and there right. is a common language yeah. that can describe all of this and and therefore um you know give you sort of valid give validity to those things that are so powerful and often more powerful than the more traditional techniques um so that we we can broaden that toolkit and 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 give ourselves permission to use mm -hmm. everything within that toolkit mm -hmm. um and not sort of see them as these segregated things and help you know the people you're working with understand that and and that and to trust those intuitive things and that they can be explained in in sort of you know physical terms and the body is not really biology it's physics it's, when you start looking yeah. at it and on that level it's all energy frequency vibration right yeah yeah so again you're translating again right yes just yeah. from that just very solid and I'm air quoting here to then what is this thing yeah. and then just how do we put this into words so maybe people who are a little bit more brain oriented can go ah okay I, I get it right some people don't need that yes yeah, some people don't know need it. yeah yeah, I would say you know when you're working with people, you've got to, you can't just have one language exactly. That you expect it's a yes. one size fits all, and so yes. when you put all these different ways in, and when you use your intuition, when somebody comes in the door for the first time for a treatment, I'm already like, where are you energetically? What language mm -hmm. is going mm -hmm. to going to hear better? What's my entry point? And you know, so some people are very kind of you know you know, nuts and bolts, and it's all very kind of, you yeah. know, um, tangible. And then others, you know, we can go straight to that softer place, the more energetic place, and then come in to then describe, well, actually, there's a tangible thing going on here. So you have to have this elasticity yes. in, um, to be able to accommodate everyone to get, you know, the, the best results for everyone and, and to to uh, speak speak the language of, of whoever's yeah. in front of you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I um I'm curious, Jenny, what your experience is with, you know, you said it at the beginning something about um you find kind of the same kind of whys over and over for people, right? For performers, like the root causes. Uh so would you share some of those? Like what are um 
you know, of course, everybody's unique. Everybody's so different. It's never going to be cookie cutter. Just interested in kind of a general overall, mm-hmm. um, like for, for performers, what it, what is there like when you get down to the down to the nitty gritty? Yeah, so I think you know one of the core things that are under so many of the layers is identity, mm-hmm. um, and again, this sense of who am I truly, um, and particularly performers who have who are highly skilled, highly successful often, um, and perhaps were from childhood. I used to teach at the the Colburn School in downtown, which is sort of like the Juilliard of the West Coast, elite level music conservatory. And you're getting, you know, these incredibly talented um, classical musicians who, you know, were training from the age of three, you know, with went yeah. to live with their teachers. Um and so often their identity is completely wrapped around their ability to yeah. play their instrument, to dance mm. to the degree that they do, or sing whatever their their um, you know modality is. And if you take away and say, right, tomorrow I tell you tomorrow you're you're no longer able to play your cello or your violin, mm. or whatever. Yes. Who are you? You know, there's just like there's nothing under there because their entire focus and there's also this huge often a huge weight of expectation on a talented Mm. youngster that you know the parents have made these incredible sacrifices to send their child Mm. to work with this teacher and all the other members of the family just had to hang around whilst they were doing their lessons and be in the taxi service taking them to all their things so a lot of the focus of the family has been put on this yeah. this this mm-hmm. child and so you go from you know uh, in the world of psychology because that was something else I did after being a osteopath yeah. for many years I realized I was working so much with the psychology I did a master's in psychology um and you know it's the difference between what we call intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation so intrinsic motivation is that joy of just doing something because it's creative and it feels good and it's fun. And I would often say to musicians, you know, do you remember the first time you picked up an instrument? You know, what was that like for you? And often it was like a recorder or something, you know. (laughs) You just pick this thing up and you're blowing into it. It's like, I can blow into this thing and make noise. And it's like, (laughs) I don't care whether it's in tune or whether, you know, it's nice for people to listen to. Often it isn't, you know, and it's just the fact that you're able to do that and the joy of that, or that you put on music and you start flinging yourself around your living room. And again, you're not worried about technique or any of these things. So you come Mm -hmm. into it with that that intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly all these parameters get stuck on you and like, oh well it's got to be this way what's a socially acceptable sound to make versus just yeah. making sound for the fun of it and all these kind of rules and regulations come in and then this sort of you know unfortunately in in a lot of the arts training there's a lot of the sort of whiplash approach fear-based approach to to training um that literally kind of rips the joy out of you and you mm-hmm. start to become extrinsically extrinsically motivated by what does my teacher think did I pass that exam did I win that trophy did I get that that job you know so it's all about things that are beyond your control Mm. and you lose touch with that 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 
inner joy that goes with it. Um, and often then if there's expectation from parents, it's like, well, I need to please my parents or I sever the the bond, right, that that is, and it's all about safety. The body, you know, at a very fundamental mm-hmm. level is either running the safe program or the unsafe program. And what often gets skewed in that that process is that safety is often conflated with familiarity. Mm. So mm-hmm. Even if you're in an abusive relationship, if you've got a teacher who just yells yeah. at you and mm. it's mm. familiar, it's getting you reward because people go, oh, you're really good at what you do. Well, I have to get beaten up by my teacher, metaphorically, mm-hmm. yeah. physically. Yeah. Um, to get that outcome, therefore, that must be the right thing. So, therefore, that's good. Wow. Right? And so, then not only do you tend to seek out those things because they're familiar, you know, it's this idea of abusive relationships. Why do people tend yeah. to keep falling into that pattern when yeah. it's clearly unsafe? It's familiar. And so the biology Mm -hmm. that normally draws you towards safety and gives you chemical rewards for being around safety brings you chemical reward for being around something that's familiar as well. Um, So we end up with artists who are not only sort of used to this kind of abusive drive towards perfection, um, they do it themselves. They don't actually need someone outside themselves. Mm. They'll beat themselves up. They'll be in a practice room for eight hours with their violin, beating themselves up psychologically because that's how they think you get the job done, right? Um, So underneath all that, when you're in that constant state of of, uh, contention, then you are in a sympathetic drive the fight or flight drive of the body one of the components of that is increased inflammation right so Mm -hmm. inflammation is a defense response again there's nothing wrong with inflammation i would say inflammation is information Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. um so if you are if you perceive you are under attack or under threat the body doesn't discriminate between a saber-toothed tiger and your mind monkeys going, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you know, you've got that mm-hmm. tomorrow, oh my God. Um, we produce inflammation as a preemptive strike against a, an attack where we might get an open wound, right? If you're going to get mauled by a bear, there might be an open yep. wound. Inflammation is there to heal, right? It's what we produce yes. to get red hot around a a wound site so we produce inflammation as a kind of like just in case we need to mop up an open wound but the the wound is not appearing externally so what's happening to that inflammation it's running unchecked through the system so if you're overusing your muscles or something through excess practice in this sympathetic state with Mm -hmm. inflammation in the system you're more likely to produce an injury so even people say well I've just torn a muscle in my shoulder I pulled a muscle in my shoulder it's like yeah but what was the emotional context that allowed for that to happen so if you're playing in with an abusive mentality towards yourself you're more likely to develop an injury yeah so that's how we start to see how those stories manifest into uh you know the physical expression and then if you look at people again a lot of artists were not allowed to be themselves they had to be 
the the virtuoso performer or the you know whatever it was if you are in a place of resentment which mm-hmm. can be the end result of that that is an internalization of inflammation and that's where the self is attacking self mm-hmm. and that can be the basis mm-hmm. for autoimmune conditions so there are mm-hmm. quite a high prevalence of autoimmune expression in in the artistic population so it's again some of these skewed emotional <coughs> boundaries that are underlying that and that we've been entrained to beat ourselves up mm. so that is the very definition of an yeah. autoimmune right. expression wow i have a question about that's one like experience for an artist. Then we have the artist whose parents told them, what do you think you're going to do with that? Oh, yeah. What do you think you're going to be, right? <laughs> and how does that manifest? And I'm, I'm speaking for myself. Uh-huh. Like, oh, why do you think you, how do you think you're going to do that? Just, I mean, come on, get your head straight and go do something that actually is, you know, worthy. Yes. And how does that translate with the people that you see? And what is that? core you know just it's so interesting to hear you talk about because oftentimes as artists we have this idea that those people made it right oh my god look they made it they have it's glorious it looks glorious <laughs> and we don't know what the the price is for that or yeah. the struggles that may come with that kind of expectation those kind of like intense energies being poured into you and like mm-hmm. you you need to give back it's not just unconditional in that way. Maybe for some of them it is. But um, so, yeah, how does that translate in your observation with people who are just kind of like muted? Like, yeah, okay, well, you can't really do that. And then it just becomes like that little side thing that they do, but there's not enough confidence to just be like, no, it is, right? So it just kind of gets put to the side and then the wounding and just, you know, also the muting of that and how it comes out in different ways in the bodies. Yeah, that is so, you know, so powerful, that suppression. Again, it's right. a suppression, suppression of truth, it's a suppression of self. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll often, you know, I, I don't just treat artists, so sometimes I'll be yes. with people and, you know, they've got sort of, you know, wrist pain and I just go and I feel this like their forearms feel like they're about to burst. I'm like, do you paint? Do you make jewelry? Mm. Do you what? Yeah, it's like these arms are screaming to express, express and it's trapped energy. So wherever you've mm. got trapped, unexpressed energy, then what should be expressed outwardly is being turned inwardly. Mm. And that can be, you know, as a result of, of that sort of suppression of, of, of creativity and uh, also there's often when when you've not been allowed to to be that or it's not even that you're not allowed to it it's almost like you've been you end up with shame attached to it mm-hmm. or because mm-hmm. you know being the artist well that's kind of that's not like, an yeah. acceptable profession <laughs> so i feel that when i'm doing that there's there becomes an element of shame attached to it and shame you know it's been shown in in studies that that the expression of shame produces something called il6 interleukin 6 which is an inflammatory Mm -hmm. chemical in the body so again these emotions that we express are not just they are chemical they are biochemical experiences that are having some sort of manifestation in the body so 
yeah, that repression of of expression um, often results in these sort of uh, um, this trapped sensation in the body. I, you know, I, I very much work with the fascia, um, mm. and the fascia is is so expressive of mm. our emotional mm. state. You know, mm. the person can tell me any story they like. <laughs> my hands on their fascia, you're like. like, mm-hmm. you're like- <laughs> in the system here Uh, (laughs) because the fascia is like body armor right and so if we're in this defensive mode it it, you know fascia is the most beautiful structural substance it's Mm. it's you know it's crystalline but it can be anything from liquid gel like consistency to really tough that it's almost as tough as bone um and it's not it's not like a muscle or something that's elastic that has contractile capabilities. It's not, you know, people mm-hmm. say my fascia is tight. It's like, mm, yeah, no, that's not. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I like accuracy in, in terminology because yeah. it's, it, yeah. it, it, it's when we, when we don't understand these processes we, that's when, when we're not working with the system. Mm-hmm. So fascia changes its consistency under vibration mm-hmm. Um and so if you are loading a particular area of your body, there's a lot of vibration going through it that, that it will thicken and toughen itself up. So like the plantar fascia, which is on the sole of your foot, is quite tough because mm-hmm. it takes a lot of vibrational right. load, right? Yeah. Um, so it's supposed to be. There's no, not a problem with that. Um, but when, you know, I and there's many, many layers of fascia in the oh, body, cool. but you know, the way I describe it in simple terms to people, it's, you know, it's a bit like you've got this sort of unitard under your skin. <laughs> and when 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 it's in that sort of defense mode and it's armoring, it's like it's a size too small. And people always go, oh, that's just what it feels like. It's like <laughs> I'm just wrapped, um, you know, under my skin. And, and I can't. So that to me is always an experience. What are you not expressing? What are you armoring? Mm-hmm. What are you defending? Um, and so often, again, as you start to work, and I use vibrational techniques to start to to change the consistency mm. of the fascia, and often then the story comes out. You can mm, sit and have yes. the conversation with them there, and they're like, no, I'm not sure. I'm Open up the fascia, and the story comes out. Mm-hmm. So this idea that we hold all our thoughts and, and emotions and things in the head, mm. like there's this box that yeah. contains spiral <laughs> cards. All these Crazy. Things. <laughs> not, not what's going on so the body yeah. speaks right so again Absolutely. that story is held in the body and often when I go to a particular spot and start to to change the frequency there mm-hmm. the whole thing the whole story okay. comes up. oh I, as a kid this thing happened la, 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 la. It's like, there we go. yeah um, <laughs> uh, but that's the you know that's what fascinates me about it. and that's why you know you can tell me any story you like but your body's going to mm. tell me truth the real um, story <laughs> yeah. let's put that on the table and start acknowledging that and often that can be very confronting for people so you mm. have to be careful how you um, address approach it. it um but you know you sometimes all I'm doing is just starting that little line of communication and yeah. then you go and play with that and and um yeah yeah it's a it's a an wow. exciting thing to do our, bo- our bodies are so amazing I mean, it reminds me of, I used to practice acupuncture um, for a long time and acupuncture practice, but it's that same thing after I would do, you know, we talk before and then you go in and you do the treatment, right? It's all energetic. It's all just moving the chi or the energy or whatever, whatever needs to be done. 
And then afterwards, yeah, people are just, they're like almost completely different. You know, it's just such an opening, such an invitation. Not every time because some people resist that, Mm. Um, you know, but it's, and when you're, when you were talking about Jenny, all of these sort of whys and, and sort of the underneath of these performers, it really can be the case for any of us in our lives, all of the things that you said. I mean, it really does apply to everything, to everyone. Um, And to me, that if we boil that down even more, because I I always use the word, I love when you said detective, because I always told that to my patients or clients. I was like, (laughs) okay, I'm just the detective and we're going to do some detective work. And that kind of lightened it a little bit for them too. Like, oh, okay, sure. Let's just, you can ask me questions. But it always boiled down to this one thing, which I'm not saying it's the case all the time, but is not good enough. Mm. Not Mm. good enough. It's just the default of every human, not that we come in that way, right? But the conditioning that we get is just, Mm. boom, not good enough. And so it always manifests in some different way. But Mm. yeah, it's that kind of... um you know, Darwinian approach of survival of the fittest, you know, that's that not good enough, right? That we have to fight, scratch and tear our way to to get anywhere. And and if you're not doing that, well, you're lazy, Lazy. you know. Yes. It's very much a societal conditioning that is so destructive and it goes completely against the nature of creativity. And like you say, we're talking, you know, been talking here about artists, but everybody is a creative being. Everybody is playing a role to a certain extent, you know, I used to work, I used to do treatments in a law firm in London, you know, and, and there were wow. people there who would come down to my room in the basement of the law firm, just be like, oh, I want to be an interior designer. <laughs> <laughs> my parents said that I had to be a lawyer. Oh, la, la, yeah. They were all lawyers and that, you know, so they're playing, yeah, they're wearing the mask and being a lawyer. And wow. So we're all doing it, but it is this kind of, you know, this absolute web we've built over Mm. you know millennia really I guess of of this this sort of it's so (laughs) crazy when I look at it now you know this whole construct we have about how we're supposed to progress and achieve in life Mm -hmm. is so destructive in so many ways but I think it's changing I think we're here to change Mm -hmm. right it may not happen in our lifetimes but we are the bridge here because we've reached the point where that just doesn't work work. yeah we've reached the end point of how far we can push that and our biology will not let that stand nature will not let that stand yes um so we are starting to find these new ways and new languages for things and and permission to just be in truth and if everybody mm. was just in truth i mean mm. <laughs> i mean that's i mean i've never right. you know, over the years i've been treating people you know this this language of anxiety you know I didn't know yes. what that meant as a child you know and now I'm getting nine-year-olds brought to me who said mm. I suffer from anxiety I'm like, what are we doing you know and I think there's many layers to where that's coming yeah. from but uh, it, it's it's just exhausting you know what are we doing so I feel like we are at this turning point and I think you know a lot yes. of us came here to, to be here at this time to help with this shift and to you know just be a little bit ahead of the game and this this ability I've always had to kind of just step back and view everything from a quite objective perspective you know just look down at it like a chessboard and go why are people doing this and why are they doing Mm. that you know I was you know when I talk about these whys the the wisdom of whys the whys Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. 
I was the kid that drove my parents mad by going, why? Yeah, but why? <laughs> yeah, but why? <laughs> Just my cards! You know. Um, <laughs> so that's what stands you in good stead. Question, question, question. Yes. Question yes. and if it doesn't make any sense, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> it's like I'm stupid. <laughs> and that's again when I like using humor when people have got you know, people have got, I don't know, some sort of ritualistic behavior that they're stuck in or an addictive yeah. pattern. It's just you know, maybe if we could it's just silly, you know, go Monty Python on it. Jackie <laughs> <laughs> with a fish and go, well, that's just stupid. Why are you doing that? You know. <laughs> So, um, and then I go, oh, I don't know. I don't want <laughs> something else. Um, mm. So that that relief of just like, oh, I can just laugh at it and let it go. Mm. Get over yourself, you know, it's like we're all here to yeah. mess up, you know. We're not here. It's mm. like when I teach, you know, I still teach ballet sometimes. And I was a professor at Chapman University for a while teaching ballet, you know, and I'd get all the freshmen coming in and in this completely hyper-perfectionist state. <laughs> To, you know, prove themselves to me. I'm like, if you're perf- if you're perfect, I don't have a job. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't need to be here. Please, you know, I need to earn a living. So, could you please not be perfect so I can <laughs> help you? And that you know, there is no perfect. There's no, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, when when I'm teaching people, you know, sort of pre-professional level, either as musicians or as dancers. You know, I'm, I, so I'm not here to teach you to be perfect. I'm here to teach you how to dig yourself out of a hole. Because you're mm. on stage, you're going to mess up. It's just mm. you know, doing eight shows a week, you know, you're going to mess up. It's yeah, sure. Just, yeah. What you need, the skill you need to learn is how to dig yourself out of a hole. And mm. people that have a linear trajectory to success who've never encountered failure, yeah, they have no tools to deal with it. They have no mm. tools to deal with adversity. We're here to learn how to deal mm. with adversity, not to be perfect. So when you change the goalposts like that, it's like, oh, so now when something adverse happens, it's an opportunity to figure it out. You never learn to figure anything out if everything's always perfect. Mm. So, <laughs> so things that go wrong or when you slip up, if I'm working with people with you know addictions or things like that, oh, I messed up. And I'm like, great. Well, that was an opportunity to be a field experiment okay what yeah. were all the steps that led mm. to actually going and reaching for that thing that you were trying not to reach for and and yeah, I like yeah. people not to focus on oh I'm trying to give up the cigarettes mm. or the whatever it's like mm. what 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 were you using that thing oh, to boy. suppress yeah. what's wanting to come out that that was helping you to keep damp that focus on that yeah. You know, and then this just becomes irrelevant in the in the process. So again, it's just shifting people out of these patterns of behavior mm-hmm. that we've been indoctrinated into. I'm just going, that's just stupid. Let's do something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> why why is it easier for some people than others? Why is it easier for some people to for some people to move? Through their stories, right? Why are some a little bit more stuck in that story or stories that were told or that they lived through the traumas? Or yeah. how do you see that? Why are some people just more fluid and just a little bit more like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's done. Like, I'm, and some people just have need more tending and more support through that. Yeah, well, it comes down again to this safe versus unsafe. Is your body running the safe program? Is it running the mm-hmm. unsafe program? And a lot of people, again, it's this conflation of safety and right. familiarity. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I see this a lot, and particularly with performers, actually, you know, where people have either an injury or some sort of, um, you know, physiological process that's causing symptoms that they actually don't want to get, not don't want to get rid of, but they're actually, you know, they're saying, oh, I just want, you know, it's I'm getting rid of it. It's, at some level, it's serving them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so with artists, sometimes, oh, I've got this shoulder thing and you know it's been going on for months and I it's just not going I've tried everything blah 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 and often the longer you've been away from practicing your craft and away from the profession because you haven't been able to play or dance or whatever it is that you do the fear of going back and not being Mm. good enough again Mm. injury serves a purpose to give you a reason to fail right oh well I can't go for that audition because I this isn't better yet I'm not ready mm-hmm. um so so it becomes an excuse to fail that keeps you safe because you don't want to put yourself out there to be rejected and they go oh you're not good enough oh we had somebody else while you're off with your injury who was better than you sorry you've no longer got your job right. so so there's mm. that going on but on a broader level that happens with people even with things like autoimmune or you know and I don't like you know I don't want this to sound like it's like blame language oh get over yourself and you know yes people are having these these manifestations but often they become so defined by a diagnosis Mm -hmm. and it's one of the things that I just you know I really try not to you know what have I got you then you're gonna become it oh I've got this I've got this and that attracts attention right oh right attracts sympathy oh, yes so a lot of people are being comforted by True. the fact that they've got something yeah. yep. that requires sympathy um and I'm not saying that they're consciously necessarily doing yeah. that but it becomes a thing and I've seen it a lot with people that you know, support groups are great. I don't want to say that they're not, but sometimes it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. Oh, well, I, I'm in my support group for my whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then you're all validating yes. each, each other's other. behavior yeah. rather right. than wanting to look for a path out. You're finding comfort in the in fact that. that I'm being seen and heard yeah. people get me, which is great. But you can have that without the yeah. condition as well. Right. So, so it's again, it's just sort of what is making someone feel safe, and sometimes having their diagnosis makes them feel safe. And yeah, when right. you start to say you don't have that anymore, who are you oh, now? You don't have an excuse not to go out and do the things that you say. Oh, I've always wanted to do that. Have you really? Mm-hmm. I really want to climb that mountain. Right off you go. You're good to go. <laughs> so it's again am I safe am I unsafe so a lot of what I do is boiling down to helping people helping people's nervous systems Mm -hmm. auto-regulate childhood thing we come into this world um as an imprintable being and we we are in our nervous system sort of uh, parameters if you like it's the elasticity of it Mm. It's dictated by the environment, right? It's it's like genetics versus epigenetics, right? It's not not the entity; it's the environment within which it's it's cultured. Um, you know, mm. we talk about culture medium in a 
petri dish. Yes, right? Yeah, it's the same as we are in the broader cultural medium, and and yeah. so if you are brought up in a household where there's a volatility. Mm-hmm then your nervous system doesn't learn to auto-regulate because Mm -hmm. there's volatility and say, you know, and even if that, I don't mean necessarily like in an abusive way, but you just got a highly active mother or something who's not Mm auto-regulated herself. Yes. You as a child, you have to, because we are as human infants, we are completely helpless, right? If we're left alone, we don't survive. We are completely dependent on a caregiver for our survival. We're not like some of these little bambies and things that come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're good <laughs> to go. Um, yeah. so, so therefore, we have to protect the bond with the primary yeah. caregiver, whoever that may be, for our safety, again, right, for our survival. Mm. So if you've got a, a, a very hyper-anxious parent um then it becomes your job to keep quiet to you know if I scream because I need something I'll get yelled at Mm. or I'll get left alone so therefore I will repress my needs to to protect their mood (laughs) therefore I protect the bond um and you therefore sort of believe you have to believe as an infant that you're caregiver can do no wrong otherwise that threatens your survival if they're a complete Mm. mess then I'm I'm you know I've had it right um so we therefore can see no wrong in them even if there is wrong happening it's familiar right so therefore our bonding chemicals which are dopamine serotonin all these things that help us bond with a caregiver get bonded to something that's volatile yeah therefore we see volatile as as safe we'll go and seek out volatility in our life because we perceive that as safe because it's so it's kind of a lot Mm -hmm. of the time we're having to go back to that and figure out where where did this come from and how can we relearn we can still you know nothing's set in stone but we have to kind of figure out where we you know where it got skewed so that we can learn to auto-regulate the system uh you -hmm. know later in life it's a bit like people that um have sort of dyskinetic disorders sort of you know movement disorders and things often they missed out crawling you know it's like you go go back and do crawl therapy to mm-hmm. to to put Real back killer. in that neurological stage of development that was missing um so it's just that you know it's just like what let's find a way to, for you to regulate your system that's not dependent on you seeking out things that are no longer useful to you and to not blame it so there's no blame you were just trying to stay safe right. so because there's also shame when you believe a parent can do no wrong mm. and then things are volatile you have to believe it's you you they can't yeah. do wrong. so right. it must be you that brings shame then we're into the inflammatory mess that shame brings and so then there's Psycho. shame attached to everything go through so it's so that's kind of the <laughs> often the, the, the ladder that I'm looking at um of even just, you know, somebody that can't sleep or has anxiety or something, often it's getting back to those stories from mm. childhood and letting go. There's no blame to parents that they were just programmed the way they were programmed. We're just, that's right. You know, people yeah. say, oh, is this inherited? Well, it's often it's the behaviour that's inherited right. rather than actually a genetic yes. disposition to these yeah. things. Yes. Wow. Mm. Yeah. I said it was going to be a healing broadcast and... <laughs> 
no one noticed, but I've been, I've been, my eyes have been, you know, increasing in what it's, it's a very hydrating conversation. Let's put no, it Yes. <laughs> yes, it has been. Jenny, yeah. I would love to know, um, as we kind of wrap up here, um, what is your most favorite part of what you do or how you do it and, and what lights you up the most about it? I think what lights me up is is actually not knowing. It's like, oh, a new person. I wonder where this is gonna go. What 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 approach is gonna work best for them? You know, like mm. that figuring figuring out and even just from an email that somebody sends me wanting to book in and they just get and it's been it helps me to train my sort of intuitive side, which I've been developing more and more. Um to the point now where I just get their email and I'm already dining. Oh, I can feel there's this in the system and that in the system. And, and yeah. then this sort of non-local uh, entanglement yes. thing, which in physics I can now describe, although I always used to have, I used to call it intuition, whatever. Now I can describe it in actual, you know, uh, terms of physics that I can pick up on those frequencies. And then, so when, then when I meet them, I'm like, Ooh, was I right? Was I wrong? Was I off? <laughs> um yeah but just that excitement and just just um helping people to you know to catalyze some excitement for their healing journey rather than mm. you know we tend to approach everything with like this doom and gloom they oh <clears throat> well you're never gonna get you know the universe you know the way physics works is that you know the universe is just reflecting back to you what you're putting out. So if yeah. you go, oh, I've always had this back pain, it's, I've always had it, well, then you'll always have it, right? Because that's right, right, right. The universe is, it doesn't yeah. judge, it's just reflecting back. Whereas if you can, helping people to catalyze this excitement of oh, what would it feel like not to have that? Mm. Can, you, can you feel that in your body? Yeah, I can. It's like, well, then you're healed. You can dial it up. <laughs> but, you know, it's not like, oh, will it take six weeks? It's like if you can imagine, yep. you know, if you put imagination in this other bucket that it's not physical, it's like, but you're feeling it in your body. So if you can do a daily meditation of what it just feels like to feel fabulous in every cell of your body, well, that's it. What's the problem? You know, you're already healed. And yeah. Yes, you may collapse back into old patterns, but then we just need to find out well, what's the what are the breadcrumbs the that lead on that path yeah. to get to that pattern, and let's just yeah. not do those. You know, so again, mm-hmm. it's just simplifying, making it fun, and just seeing yeah. the shift where people go, I can, I can do this. And I always say to people, you know, yes. I'm not doing anything. You know, you've healed me. You've healed. Me. I'm not healing you. And I'm, I'm tuning <laughs> up. You know, I'm helping you attune to different frequencies. Yeah, yeah. I'm showing you the options. You're doing it. I can't, I, absolute arrogance. Yeah. I could possibly yeah. do anything to you. You're doing it. Yes. Um, so putting that, that sort of, oh, it's me, you know. Yes. Um, so that's what I I enjoy about it, and and the fact that that you don't I don't I never do the same thing twice in a day, you know. Yeah. So um, it mm. keeps because I get bored very easily. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate to that. Oh my goodness! Where can people find you? Let them know. Yeah, I'm, I I got off social like about three years ago, and very much enjoying not doing that. So it's really just <laughs> my website, which is jennymorton.com, J-E-N-N-I-E-M-O-R-T-O-N. Um, and I've got a 
newsletter there, which I hardly ever do. But I, if I've got events and things, I will do a little blast out so you can sign up to that if you want to know where I am and what I'm doing. Um, and I've got some sort of online learning uh, yes. there, a few little free things and an anxiety course. Um, yeah, and then a few books. Um, and uh, yeah, but uh, really website's the, the main way to get me. And we're going to extend an invite when whenever you want to come back and talk about the three books you're writing. Yes. And by that time you've written <laughs> one or whatever, we would love yeah. to have you here. Yeah. Well, I know about, about um, them, but I think people would really enjoy listening to you talk about them. And thank you so much for being yeah, here. Yeah, thank you, Jenny. It was pleasure. such a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It was so fun. And it was yes. just so fun having you. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun being here. Yes. With my weird morning lighting in this uh, place. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Thanks, everyone. everyone. Yeah. See you soon.